This message is presented to you by Pastor James Moore and New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. For more information or to donate, please visit newlifekc.com. Will you read this scripture with me? For you shall not worship any other God, for the Lord is a jealous God. Interesting. Last night, uh, my wife and I went to my uh, uh, class reunion. It was supposed to be the 55th class reunion, but that was for last year, and they had a postponed it because of the COVID scare. So 56 years ago, I graduated high school. Jeez, half a century and more. Anyway, while I was there, they asked me to do the invocation. You know what that is. That's where you invoke. You ask God's blessing. You invoke God's blessing upon the event. And I got it and told them, of course, there was a, that would be good, but we were already blessed. And they said, yeah. And I said, but the Lord says that he is a jealous God. Isn't that interesting? He's a jealous God. And uh, that means what? That means he wants to be not just remembered. No, he wants to be not just in your top five. He wants to be number one, the center of your life. There's no chorus we used to sing that said this. Let's forget about ourselves. Concentrate on him and worship him. Let's forget about ourselves. Concentrate on him and worship him. Let's forget about ourselves. Concentrate on him and worship Christ the Lord. Worship him, Christ the Lord. And I think we were thinking about Usually that's just when we're in church singing, yeah, let's forget about him, ourselves. We don't know. He didn't want to do us just in church. He wants to do that everywhere. I remember early in the early days of our church when we were still meeting at the bank building, uh, there was a pastor who had, and his wife who came. They had, uh, their church had unfortunately had, had folded, and they, they were no longer meeting, and he, they were looking for a place to come to church. So they came to our church, and we welcomed them. I'm, of course, excited about having someone like that there. And so after church, they said, now, we need to tell you something. I said, well, I'm so glad you're here. They said, well, we need to tell you something. I said, what's that? And his wife said, well, we are big. He said, see, we're not going to be here every Sunday because we are really, really big Chiefs fans. And whenever the Chiefs are playing on Sunday, we won't be here. Let's forget about ourselves. Concentrate on him and worship him. Had some other people one time, they said, you know, this happened a number of times. I said, oh, I missed you in church last week. Is everything okay? They said, "Uh, well, we had family in town. And they didn't want to come and... So we stayed home. Let's forget about ourselves. Concentrate on him and worship him. You know, <laughs> sorry I missed last week. I, man, I got free tickets to a concert <laughs> and uh, Saturday night. And uh, by the time we got home, it was well after midnight. And so, you know, I was dead tired. <laughs> Let's forget about ourselves. Concentrate on him and worship him. 
You know, in the early years of, of the church, not our church, but the church in general, a great persecution took place. And during that awful period, the Apostle John was taken prisoner for his faith. And he was sent to Rome. And the Roman emperor at that time, it was either Nero or Diocletian, I'm not sure who it was, but they banished John to the Isle of Patmos. The island was a small, desolate, uninhabited place. In fact, its only populace was a few prisoners who had been banished there to live out their days. And just like them, John was sent to Patmos to die. Now, the apostle I'm talking about is the same John who was described as the disciple whom Jesus loved, one of Christ's closest friends on earth. And he was also the brother of James. He was the son of Zebedee. And he authored the fourth gospel in the New Testament, as well as the three other biblical epistles that have his name on them, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Now, let's pick, try to picture the scene as John arrives at Patmos. He walks down the boat's gangplank onto a desert island. There are no trees, only sand. And standing there in front of him is a small group of ragged, hardened, cursing prisoners. They all have a look of doom. They know they're going to die there. And behind John, the sailors unload a few crates of food and supplies, probably just the bare essentials like rice and flour. They dump them on the beach. Then they go back aboard, pull up the gangplank, and the boat slowly sails away. And John watches as the boat heads towards the horizon. He doesn't know if he'll ever see it again since he's been left stranded, exiled, forsaken, meant to live out his days in isolation. He would later write, he said, I am banished to Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So why was John just a, you know, a lowly disciple of, of Jesus, why was he given such a severe sentence? Why, why was Rome, the world's ruling power, desperate to isolate him from civilization? I mean, he could have easily been jailed on the mainland. Why did the emperor want to silence him? See, apparently Rome considered John a great threat. And John was obviously well-known among the Jews and Gentiles. What an effective ministry he must have had. And what a powerful influence he must have been. But now, he's left on Patmos. And as he watched the ship sail away, I wonder if he was remembering that the, the words that Jesus had spoken. When Jesus said, the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I wonder if he was thinking about that. And I also wonder how many cold, wet, shivering nights did John endure on Patmos? How often was he soaked to the bone by the vicious storms of the Mediterranean? 
Did he have shelter? Did he even have a change of clothes? How many cold and flu viruses and other diseases did he have to battle? And what kind of diet did he have? You know, maybe a, what, a few bags of rice? Did he have to ration it, knowing it would have to last until the prison boat came back? Was he forced to catch and eat snakes and lizards to, to have enough food? Well, I think it's safe to say that by anyone's standard, John was a failure. Most Christians today would probably look at him and say, what a waste. Why would God allow one of the most anointed men of all time to be isolated this way? Why would he truly allow someone who is truly devoted to be exposed to the elements and, and, and nearly starve. Isn't this guy known as the disciple Jesus loved? And many others would say, and why didn't John ask God to deliver him? After all, he was the one that wrote that Jesus said, if you shall ask the Father for anything, I, he will give it to you in my name. Ask and you will receive, John had written. I mean, where was John's faith anyway? And how would today's church leaders react to John? <laughs> well, John had no congregation. He had no church building. He had no money to rent or buy a structure. He had no ministry agenda. He had no vehicle to travel in. He had no house, no decent suit to preach in. He had no outreach to the community. He had no plan to win the nations. I'm guessing that many of today's leaders would quickly write him off saying, really, this guy has nothing. He's finished. Whatever made him think he was called to ministry in the first place? But man, how wrong they all would be. Because you know what? On the, listen, on the very first Sabbath on Patmos, John started a church. Yeah, he did. He called it the church of I, John. He wrote about it. He said, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom perseverance, which are in Christ, was in the spirit on the Lord's day. In other words, John was saying, hey, I may be shut off from civilization, but I have a church, and I minister unto the Lord here. I have no brother to join me, no sister to join me, but I am in the Spirit. And I can assure you, my friends, I can assure you that the praise John offered from that isolated island was as glorious to God as a thousand holy voices worshiping in a thousand different tongues with the finest musicians in the world. Anyway, something incredible happened to John after his first few days on Patmos. He made a decision that impacted the entire church world 
for eternity. Simply put, John died to all his own plans and all his own thoughts of ministry. As far as he knew, his exile on Patmos was his final lot. That was it. He probably thought, okay, I may be stranded here for life, but I'm not going to lose the fire of God. Even if it's only me here, I'm going to worship the Lord. I have no congregation. I have no fellowship with Christian brothers or sisters. But I'm going to walk in the Spirit. And I'm going to devote myself to seeking the face of God. I now have time to know him as I never have. See, and I believe that John sought the Lord fully in his isolation. I believe he moved in the Spirit, gave himself as a living sacrifice. John was now in full-time ministry. No, I don't mean in terms of how we normally think of such ministry. I'm calling it full-time in the sense that all John had was God. He had nothing else. See, on Patmos, there was no need for fundraising. There was no need for slogans, no need for hype, no, no, no need to compete with other ministers, no reason to erect bigger church buildings, no one around to praise John, no one around to congratulate John or boast on him. His entire life was reduced to a single focus, a single ministry, Jesus Christ. All John had was Christ alone. And his attitude seemed to be, this is all I'll ever need. Prayer, worship, and a communion with the Lord. So let's talk for a minute about what full-time ministry is. First of all, full-time ministry does not imply simply pastoring a church. Nor does it mean traveling as an evangelist or holding revival meetings or running a Christian ministry. Full-time ministry is not determined by a diploma or a certificate from a Bible college or an ordination from church officials. In fact, it's possible to pastor a large, successful church and still not be in full-time ministry. It's possible to preach hundreds of messages and reach huge crowds, but these are not the thing, they're not the things that make you a full-time minister in God's eyes. Over the years, I've had a number of people come to me asking for prayer that the Lord would send them into full-time ministry. Now, usually these are people that have jobs, they have careers. Some truly believe God's called them into ministry full-time, but others are simply unfulfilled or bored in their secular jobs. And the idea of being paid a livable salary for doing God's work sounds pretty good to them. 
There are others who are involved in God's work part-time, but they have an urgent desire to minister full-time. And the truth is, and I'm sure you're aware of this, in most countries, including the United States, many ministers have to work secular jobs because their congregations can't support them. And many who do receive a salary are underpaid, and they're convinced if they just had more support, they would be more effective. So here's a statement I hope you'll write down if you're taking notes. God wants every believer to be involved in full-time ministry. God wants every believer to be involved in full-time ministry. Take a moment and let that settle in your mind. See, this requires getting rid of the idea that full-time ministry is a paid position or that full-time ministry is a career. You see, in the, listen, in the Lord's eyes, full-time ministry is ministry unto him. In other words, you can be like the Apostle John, stranded on an island alone and still be in full-time ministry. In fact, I consider John one of the most successful ministers in the Bible. Scripture says that we're all called as priests unto the Lord, and the sacrifice we're all asked to make is the simple, just the offering of ourselves. Death to self-will. And listen, you'll know you're on the right track when you realize that you no longer need human applause. You know you're on the right track when you don't need an assignment, you don't need a plan, you don't need involvement in some great work. You know you're on the right track when you don't need endorsements, you don't need credentials, you don't need a congregation, you don't need a church building. You'll know you're ready to be a full-time minister when you would rather be alone with Jesus, feeding him with your praises than your desire to be admired as a great minister. For you see, when you realize that all True ministry to others flows out of your ministry to him. When you've accepted that your calling on this earth is to minister unto the Lord, then you'll be ready for what God sees as full-time ministry. But let's get back to John on Patmos. There's no record that John had contact with anyone while he was on the island. Personally, I don't think the criminals there had much desire to be around such a godly man. <laughs> so John had no fellowship with anyone. He had no godly counsel. He had no one who would listen to him. All he heard was the pounding of the surf, the squawking of the seagulls. You know, a person could go crazy <laughs> in that kind of situation. Uh, I think I would. But not John. Instead, John learned to be dependent on the voice of the Holy Spirit. 
He held on to him for protection and comfort. When John testified, I was in the Spirit, what he was really saying was, I was completely given up to the Holy Spirit. I trusted in the Holy Spirit. I was taught by the Holy Spirit. He's the one who showed me the corruption in the churches of Asia, which I wrote about in Revelation. And he showed me everything that's coming upon the earth. Yeah, John, in his full-time ministry, was given a revelation of the glory of the exalted Christ. Have you read about it in the first few chapters of Revelation? And John said, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And a voice said, come up here, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit, and there was before me a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Hear me this morning, church. Today, a door to heaven has been opened to us as well. Like John, we've been called to come up here. Scripture says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, this call to come to the throne room, it's been mostly ignored by both pastors and lay people. Very few believers truly know God's voice. And very few ministers Speak his words. I believe one of the greatest needs in the church today is to have men and women who will impose on themselves the Patmos experience. I mean, we Christians seem to find time to watch TV, go shopping, surf the internet. Very few ever come to God's throne. And yet the, thor the Lord promises, if you'll come up here, I'll reveal my mercy and my grace to you. If you'll come up here, I'll show you things you've never seen before. Why? Because you seek me. So where are these full-time ministers who will shut out the worldly voice, shut out the program of mankind? Where are these full-time ministers who will turn away from self-ambition and be led and governed only by the Holy Spirit? Who will stop? comparing with others and reduce themselves to a single focus of ministry, which is to live and walk in the Spirit. Now, in John's case, his isolation was put upon him by godless men. But whenever we willingly submit ourselves to an exile, with the Lord, he is pleased. And, and, and please note, this does not mean we stop doing outward ministry. doesn't mean we give up our job. doesn't mean we give up our family. doesn't mean we give up our witness. In fact, it's possible to be a very busy person and still have a Patmos experience. You see, what matters is that we shut out every voice, shut out every activity 
that hinders us from hearing the Lord. And we consciously, intentionally focus on listening to the Holy Spirit. Because, see, when Christ becomes our, our sole focus, we're then able to receive God's discernment. We're able to receive God's guidance. And you know what happens? We look for ways to love others. And we see every life situation as an opportunity to bring glory to him. How about you? Are you on mission? Are you looking? Not just willing to receive when somebody asks you. Are you intensely looking and searching for people to connect with so you can love them? The other night, last week, we were, uh, there's one of the life groups meets on Thursday night over, uh, and Missy, Alex's wife, leads it over at their, their home. And uh, I forget what happened, but there was uh, some things that got in the way with some of the people that were supposed to attend, and so we, the regular group wasn't there. It's, it's, a, it's a woman's group. And uh, I felt bad because there was no women going to be there hardly, and so I uh, dressed up and came over. No, I, can't, I did come over. <laughs> I came over. I didn't dress up. Uh, <laughs> but I came over. <laughs> And, uh, and, and Alex was there, and, uh, and, and Stan was there, and, and, uh, and Chastity was there, and Missy, I think that's about the size of the group. And uh, anyway, listen to this um, really, really good teaching. What's the girl's name? Jenny? Jenny Allen? Yeah. She's really good. And um, she was talking about, you know, the name of the series is Find Your People. We're talking about finding people, and we look at we're on mission. We're trying to find people we can connect with. And uh, when we were talking there, uh, Alex shared something. And uh, do you remember what you shared about? Um, he shared his philosophy on being on a mission to love others and how, and, and how he looked at it. And it it's different. Uh, sadly, it's different than what I tend to do. I, I, want to, I want to reach people for Christ. I want to talk to them. I'm always willing to talk to anybody about the Lord. And I'll spend time talking with them. But I've discovered that I talk to them uh, up to a point where I'm then, when I discern, <laughs> when I determine, when I decide, <laughs> that these people are not going to respond today to this, you know, exertion of time and energy and focus I'm giving them. And they're not going to respond. They're not going to accept Christ today. I have a tendency to move on. Thank you. I only have so much time. I'm going to go over here and talk to somebody else. Maybe they'll be ready to accept the Lord today. Oh, not you either? Okay, fine. And we go to this. And so I'm, I'm moving along. I'm, I'm trying to get more people into the kingdom. There's nothing wrong with that. But somehow, 
Alex brings up this off-the-wall thing about loving people all the time, <laughs> like anyway or something. <laughs> Alex, would you come for a second and just, can you talk about just for a second what you said in that mission to love others? And you talked about, you had a little chart or something. I don't know if you still have that. Can, can, you, can you share that real th with us real quick? Yeah, I guess. Um, so I, I think part of my thing is like, when I hear your thing, it sounds like you're like a sleazy car salesman who's trying to make a sale, you know? And so I was like, all right, hey, do you want to buy from me? You don't. All right, I got to go find somebody else. And so the people become like objects. Can, and I, can I be just a car salesman? Well, I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to wait and see about that. Um, so so I, ne I never wanted to see it that way. And I think growing up in church, I heard people talking about like, oh, I've got my project people, like people I'm working on, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to convert them. Like, and they're like these check boxes, like they become a task, they become this thing I have to do. And, and like, I don't know if there's like a tally system and God's going to give you brownie points because you had so many project people or what. But I just come back to the thing that you said there that when we love other people, that brings glory to God. Because loving other people is something that we're supposed to do out of obedience to him. He has the greatest commandment. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, everything in you. But then the second commandment is to love your neighbor. And that part, like if we obey in loving, that brings glory to God. So how do we love other people? And not just the people you like. Like that's hard. Like you got to love like, you know, Jesus said love your enemies. But what about just the neighbor that is weird? You know, what about that person at work? What about that family member that you see at that family reunion you're not so sure should be in your family? Like, how do we love people all the time, always, everywhere? So, um, and this is funny just because I'll say it. Um, when I communicate with my dad, sometimes I don't feel like he always hears me. I don't know if anybody has that experience. So I always like to find graphics and visuals to help communicate. So while we're in that small group, I pulled out my phone and I made a graphic up because I wanted to make sure he understood. So this is what I made. So I'm going to put it on the screen for you. I'm going to let you see it. So this is how I view relationships. And all relationships are things that I need to have in love. And almost all of my relationships start off what I would call as neighborly. Um, if I have a relationship with you, guess what it started out as? It was neighborly. It started with a wave. I found out your first name. There wasn't a whole lot of interaction other than that, but I knew you on a first name basis like I do my neighbor, like that pulls in his garage and waves at me on his way in before he closes the garage, before he gets out of his car. Like there's just a neighborly, hey, we know who we are. We know each other. We don't know a whole lot about each other, but we know each other. But the hope is that that love, that relationship, it can go a little bit deeper. And so we start to move kind of down the funnel to where it becomes friendly, to where, hey, now maybe um, if it's in my neighbor's situation, hey, he's mowing his yard, I'm mowing my yard, maybe we strike up a conversation about lawnmowers. I don't know what it is, but we start to talk. We start to relate about things. And it's in there that I can start to find out about his family. I can start to find out what his wife's name is, what his kids' names are, if they're in school, what they're doing. And we start to have relationship, conversation, and it's friendly. And so this is how it all starts. A lot of times we move into that pretty quick with people. You met them, you start to get to know them, you're finding that common ground. And so you're relating. Uh, you know, quirky struggles, because he's a Patriots fan, but if he sees another Patriots fan, oh my goodness, they're already on level two. It's so good. All right. And then the hope, right? 
is to move to level three. Like, we want to continue to love. We don't want to just keep it shallow. We want, to con- we want to do life. We want to know people. We want to love them well. So that's where we get to move into shared experiences. This is a whole different thing, and this is where we don't normally make the jump. Like, normally we kept it in the conversation zone. We kept it at, you know, Starbucks. We kept it in the front yard. We kept it at work. But now, hey, I got free tickets to the Chiefs-Patriots game. Do you want to go with me? Now we're both sitting somewhere and we're experiencing something together and we have a shared memory. We have a shared experience together. We have something that actually bonded us and united us more than anything else. You ever been on a road trip with somebody? There is a bond that happens, whether you wanted it to or not. Um, When you have those shared experiences. So as we begin to do life together, that's much deeper and it becomes more intimate. And the ultimate hope is that we can move from that togetherness into what I would call kind of the final level of like the deepest part of relationship is where we actually don't just share experiences together. Like right now, we're all sharing an experience together. But what if we were able to move into sharing mission together to where we're not just here together observing and being a part of this, but what if we worked together and we came arm in arm and we began to go towards the same goal in life? Sometimes we have close relationships with people at work because there's a shared task. But what if that became something that was spiritual and not just for monetary value? What if we came alongside of one another and said, man, this is what God's laid out as a goal. And man, how can we move together in that? And I think that's where this idea of community, and that word gets defined a lot of ways, but we're actually doing this together. We're united together around a single cause. So all my friendships, relationships, I'm wanting to move down this. I can put all of them somewhere on that chart. But my goal is to love well and allow Jesus' love to flow through me to where I would love for everybody that I know to be on shared mission with me, doing what God would want, where we're all doing God's will together, arm in arm. And even not right now in the room, there's people that you are on level one with. Right. Don't know them? Hey. And that's fine. The, the thing was, for me, he's loving, he, he's loving people anyway. It's anyhow love. It's just unconditional love. It's not if they do certain things or if they're moving down the path. He's loving them anyway. They're still on level one after six months, six years. Hey, we're still... I'm still loving them. Where I was thinking, yes, but I, my task, my mission to reach them was more important than having them on the mission with me. Do you see the difference? It becomes a task. It becomes a, a thing. And so you're trying to do this, but you're not really loving unconditionally. Oh, there's a condition. If you'll come to know Christ, I'll continue to love you. Otherwise, I don't have time for you. That's not love. Right? So sit down, son. You've convicted me. <laughs> and we have to be able to learn and grow and accept when God speaks to you, even if it's through your son or through somebody on the radio or what. You've got to be able to hear, and, and I, so I have begun to try to have a self-imposed Patmos experience. 
where you spend time with the Lord, because I know that it's out of this relationship that all of this comes. It's because of Alex having this relationship with the Lord that he understands the heart of God and says, I need to carry on the ministry of Christ, which was to love everybody. You know, everybody that Christ loved, everybody Christ ministered to didn't accept him. And he loved him anyway. He loved Judas all the way to Judas' death. Didn't stop because he knew the path that Judas was on. No, so it's a challenge. And so before we close today, I just want to share a, a couple things that God has revealed to me in my own Patmos time with the Lord. And uh, this is, uh, so, and, and I believe he wants me to share them with you. So the Bible tells us that in the last days, Satan is going to unleash a final attack against the church. And Jesus said in the last days, men will faint from terror. And I believe that's already happening. We're seeing people in America and around the world reacting in fear in terror of terrorism and disease. Our economy's about to crash. Inflation's through the roof. Our real estate bubble's already burst. And there's the threat of war. Evil empires are gaining nuclear power. It's possible that the world will soon teeter on the edge of a hydrogen war scare that will cause leaders all around the world to tremble. And all around us, people are deluding themselves into believing it's okay to give up their freedom in hopes of feeling safer and not having to, safe, to face any more fearful news. And others, no, they're, the other, they're unwilling to relinquish any freedom for fear that will result in losing all their freedom. So we're divided in ideology. And both sides are polarized by fear. Saying spiteful and hurtful things to anyone who disagrees with them on how to stay safe. And as these scary things continue to surface, even believers, believers are trying to numb themselves to avoid feeling the fear. Some are already joining with the heathens by excusing the use of alcohol and drugs to anesthetize themselves. That's a word that's hard to say. Anesthetize themselves. But others are giving themselves over to sensuality of all kinds. Satan has provided us with this massive menu of filth through the movies and through the internet. And this is already leading to a, a hardening, a callousness among God's people who ignore him when he says, do not be afraid. They ignore him when he says, cast all your cares on me. Fear not. Fear not. I am with you. Revelation 16, 8, John describes an awful scorching heat coming upon the earth. And he says they were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God. But they refused to repent. They refused to give him glory. Just think of that. Sufferers will be so numb They'll refuse to be delivered. 
they'll actually prefer hell instead of being delivered. And sadly, some of these blasphemers will be those who call themselves Christians. We're already seeing lukewarm believers experiencing a searing of their conscience. Now, I'm not saying they're turning away from God. No, they'll hold to a form of godliness, and they'll believe they're safe. But the time's going to come when they're going to have no feeling whatsoever. And as a result, they're not going to have any shock and no concern for eternity. They just stop growing in Christ. And when you stop growing in Christ, you become an easy target for Satan. And the Apostle Paul describes what happens to those who refuse to grow up in Christ. He said in Ephesians 4, he says, they're darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that's in them. And what, how's ignorance in them? It's in them because of their hardening of their hearts. And so it's a willful ignorance. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. And what the literal meaning of this is, is they have become apathetic. They become without emotion. They have a continual lust for more and excuse it. They become casual about the things of God. They're ignoring the call to wake up and seek him. That's extreme. That pastor that's preaching about that, he's over the top. What's wrong with him? Using fear tactics. And they're without excuse because they've already been warned. In Ephesians 4.15, Paul says, Grow up into him who's the head, that is Christ. Paul wanted these people to have inner resources necessary to stand up against Satan's final attack on the church. Yes, there's going to continue to be attacks on the church. But we don't even recognize that it is Satan. We forgot about him. Oh, yeah, the devil. Even right now, when I'm talking about this, and I'm saying Satan's name, and I'm talking about the devil. Some of you are going, oh, jeez. What are you talking about that for? How old school is that? How in the past is that? We're past all this devil stuff. It's exactly what the devil wants. People have missed God's warning which should cause believers to be alert. And they've missed God's voice, which says, fear not. And some of you know that you've not heard that voice, or at least you've not heeded it, because you're afraid. Okay? And what do you do when you're afraid? Well, you choose to numb your mind and blind your hearts to your true and dangerous condition, preferring, actually preferring to walk in ignorance. I don't want to hear about it. Fingers to my ear. Oh, I'm humming out. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear. Don't tell me. So I'm imploring you this morning. If you've grown lukewarm, if you've grown apathetic toward Jesus, please, please, please wake up. Wake up. 
Don't let the fire of the Holy Spirit go out on your life. Hear the call of the Spirit. Seek the Lord. Become a full-time minister unto Him. Seeking Him with all your heart. Because then you'll have the power of God, not only to face the days ahead, but you'll also have the power of God to be used by God to rescue and to love, as Pastor Alex talked about, to love those who are lost. See, because while the world panics in terror, I don't know if you're realizing this, God's allowing the world to, to panic in terror and insecurity. And at the same time, God's full-time worshipers will be at peace. What do you think is going to separate these people from these people? We have peace. We know the Lord is going to be the fortress for us in our storm. He is our unshakable rock. And all those who hide themselves in him will be safe. Everybody say safe. safe. Safe from danger. In that day, Christ will prove to be everything to his people. He'll prove to be redeemer. He'll prove to be protector. He'll prove to be eternal hope. Keeper in the midst of the storm. Okay, let me end with a piece of good news. One day on Patmos... John saw the ship coming back toward the island. And when it landed, John was told that the Roman emperor had died. And now the apostle was being given his freedom. So he climbed aboard and sailed away from his place of exile and settled in Ephesus. And it was from there in Ephesus that his writings became an anointed light to the world. You see, listen, it was after Patmos that John wrote his three epistles to the church. And you know what the subject of his epistles were? Love. That's what God had taught this devoted servant through his hard times, to love. So, Will we Christians suffer in the coming days? Yes, we will. But just as surely as Satan could not destroy John, God will not allow the enemy to destroy his holy remnant. God will never allow his church to die. He is right now raising up a church of full-time ministers who will stand in him through every storm. And my hope and prayer is that each of you hearing me today will accept God's call to full-time ministry. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, Help each of us respond to this message by willingly choosing our own Patmos experience. And for those who realize they're in a state of numbness, please awaken them and free them. Give them clarity 
alertness, and discernment. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together, please. And I pray that God will reveal himself to you in wondrous and amazing ways as you accept his call to full-time ministry. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.